they come in on the top. Today on the show, we have Grant Curry, bass player, songwriter from New Orleans. You might know him from the project's uh, Pleasure Club, James Hall, or uh, his newest project, Flood Twin. Flood Twin has an album coming out October 8th. By the time you're hearing this, it's out on all the streaming platforms. It is their debut record, Flood Twin, by the band Flood Twin. Um, classic band move right there, which is cool. You know it's going to be a good record when it's self-titled. This album does an amazing job of using negative space. And for my listeners, you've heard me talk about negative space a lot in the context of the art gallery I work at. But in this is the context of the concept of negative space. So uh, the album Flood Twin does this beautiful job of using the space that's there not being used to bring out what is being said. My conversation with Grant took place on Halloween, um, and it gets deep really quick. He's a really cool guy, and I was really appreciative of this conversation. Um, before we uh, get to that, we're going to listen to the track People uh, by Flood Twin off the album Flood Twin. Draw your line. There's no in-between There's no in-between There's no in-between Well, that means a fucking thing
People off the album Flood Twin by Flood Twin. And you, you can see within this this example that use of negative space and that bass line so in the pocket. It's a cool record. I highly recommend checking out Flood Twin by the band Flood Twin. Um, and I also want to take a moment here to thank everyone who's helped me out within the last few weeks. With a, I did a fundraiser called um, Knitting for the Knit Q, a benefit for Amy Baker, who is a co-worker. And uh, I know in the last few episodes, I really harped on it, and I just I just want to take a one more one more one more minute here to thank the bands Grav, Astral Radio, Cellophane Jane, Eli Oracle, Comet, Michael McFarlane, Sparrow and the Lost Boys, Rubik's Groove, Joel Big Green, um, Myth and Co, Leah Mara, Megan Stefka, Shebang, AJ in the Woods, Uncle Gnarly, Fatback, Mango. Um, Austin Stambaugh and Lowercase Roses, and uh, Liz Bloom from um, ERB and Days Productions. Without you guys, we could not have done what we did. And uh, our community is only, or our culture is only as good as our community. And you guys make it an unbelievable one. Um, with that being said, if you can like, rate, review, subscribe to the podcast and all the podcast platforms, it helps me keep talking to cool guests and sharing theirs, those insights with you. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Grant Curry. So I wanted to start off by asking, uh, how's the gumbo going for today or for tonight? Oh, <laughs> um, uh, it's funny. You're the, you're the second person who um, unexpectedly asked me about that. Uh, we've not during covid we've not been making the halloween gumbo because no. it just doesn't it doesn't it doesn't feel like the appropriate thing to do to yeah. you know be out serving serving the serving the neighborhood or serving strangers coming by so but yes normally i set up in my driveway and i make a make a big pot of gumbo and just feed feed whoever comes by so uh not this year bummer but good it's a good plan that's the the responsible thing to do not serve up serve up some open uh yeah <laughs> yeah unfortunately um are you guys gonna do anything anything like no no okay. uh no you know uh um my wife is she's actually gonna go see a show tonight with a friend and uh i'm gonna stay home with the dogs you know nice. and be you know uh have kind of a quiet evening but uh not 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 planning on doing anything special for halloween no Okay, I I feel that same over here. Not much going on. It's weird. It's weird because you you know it's like I want to go out and do stuff, but it's just like I, you know it's just I, even though stuff's kind of on the up and it's also kind of on the down, you know. Yeah, we're not exactly on the up, so right. Uh, it's 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 a weird time, man. It's a weird time to to be alive, um, and uh, experiencing all this for sure. But uh, to kind of jump into uh, like uh, your musical career, um, what drew you to the cello? Because the cello was a start, right? Cello was my start, and um, you know, I, I think I think it was probably like third or fourth grade. You know, in in the, the where I was, anyways, we were presented with this opportunity, you know, to learn to play an instrument and. You know, you're choosing between, um, uh, you know, strings or woodwinds or brass or or percussion. And I just 
something about about the the strings interested me and the cello just seemed uh seemed to be a particularly beautiful instrument and uh i liked the uh the register within you know that it that it operate uh within and and um i loved it unfortunately i had a my instructor was uh, not a terribly patient uh man and i you know i seeing him get frustrated just only made and, and be impatient just made me feel frustrated. And so I eventually just gave it up. Yeah, it's tough, especially with like a, a bowed <laughs> instrument. You know, there's such a, a, a fine motion to that, you know, like especially with something like violin where you have to balance it on your shoulder. Mm -hmm. And like uh, being that young, too, I don't know, like it's hard. I, I don't get where um, certain teachers expect a kind of perfection in a way. You know what I mean? Like, uh, I don't not to say he was expecting perfection, but that's an off, that's a kind of common a uh, common thing I hear when uh, asking someone about their first instrument. They kind of yeah yeah. I mean I think I think it's real common, unfortunately, and I, I, it seems like the uh, first prerequisite for being a uh, music educator, a teacher, uh, is uh, you know having a certain amount of patience. You know right. Um, so. And like it, and it's in the music. Whole notes they last a while, you know. There's rest <laughs> notes. There's 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 a lot of those basic things that are very uh, time uh, time uh, at least considered it. Uh, mm -hmm. And like um, uh, I and you know then again maybe it's also kind of like um, a lot of that uh, I feel that type of music is very structured in a way that's not super exciting unless you're really into the in, unless there's that initial appeal. I want to make this work. And as like a third grader, I personally don't remember having that drive to make anything work except for the, the swing set. Or, you know, what I mean, like, sure, it's, like it's really kind of hard to find that discipline that that young. I knew this guy uh, in my my class who was uh, very gifted on the cello. And he probably was an inspiration for me to want to go after that. And I, I remember him coming in and playing, playing cello to the class. And I just loved it. Yeah, well, that's the thing, seeing that, too. So that makes sense. Like, uh, do you ever see uh, there's those videos of Yo-Yo Ma when he's seven playing for, like, mm. the Kennedy? Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's that's so mind-blowing. Yeah. Um, but, okay, so then the music, after that, did you kind of pursue it, or did you just kind of, like, abandon it? Or No, no, I, I, kept, I kept going with it. Um, I uh, picked up guitar and... and... Uh, you know, I had, you know, just a shitty acoustic guitar and started taking my parents were kind enough to give me some guitar lessons. And um, and I I love doing that. Uh, I my parents didn't have much of a record collection, but they had uh, just uh, a couple things that were really interesting to me, like, you know, Beatles album. And 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 uh, I used to listen to that just nonstop. And became obsessed with that and so you know there was there, i had plenty of interest in music um there wasn't necessarily music going on around me in my family uh i did have uh, on my mother's side a, a grandfather who had been a musician when he was uh well he was a lifelong musician but he had when he was young and apparently coming up in pittsburgh um during prohibition he had he was just a teenager and he had his own band 
and uh, he was a, a sax player, and he used to play the speakeasies around Pittsburgh. And apparently, at one point, uh, was asked to join Benny Goodman's band, which you know just is such an amazing right. story to me. And eventually, uh, he quit playing because uh, you know with the depression and and whatnot. I guess he felt, uh, you know, like he needed to find an occupation that was going to be, uh, you know, more stable than being a musician. So he put himself through school at uh, Carnegie Tech and uh, studied engineering and uh, went on to, you know, work with U.S. Steel and, you know, for many, many years. Anyways, um he stopped with the saxophone. I never got to hear him play, which was a big disappointment to me. I, I saw him playing. He had a had a piano. He had a beautiful chickering piano in their in their uh, condo apartment, um, and he had a really cool old organ at one point as well. So I got to see him play that stuff a little bit. But that was it for you know like exposure to um, you know and like direct exposure to music for me. But that that's that's pretty epic, Benny. That's the king of swing, you know. If, to get that <laughs> offer, yeah, like, that's that's top class. Then, wow, yep, yeah, like uh, that's well, when he was playing like stuff on the. I mean, I guess this might be really digging, but was it like, was he playing like a uh, charts? Was he doing like the swing stuff on the on the organ and the piano, or was it just kind of like <laughs> hymnal stuff? <laughs> like, uh, you know, I I remember him pulling out like some some uh, some sheet music and. Just playing what I, I don't remember exactly what, but uh, okay. no, I don't remember any kind of hymnal stuff or anything like that. Um, I remember him, you know, playing pieces of, you know, of of of, uh, of music from, you know, probably different eras. Gotcha. And was it was it yeah. one of the organs with the foot pedals? Yes. Nice. That's yes, and the and the rocker, the little rocker uh, um, switches up top, just a yeah. ton of them, all in different colors. Yeah, it was amazing. Yeah, that's cr- I don't I still don't quite know how those work. I know it it, it does something with the overtones, but I, it, I that's the best that's where my organ knowledge uh, taps out. I don't know how they work either, but I think they're incredible and I used to be fascinated with it and I would sit at that organ for hours just fucking about with it. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately that never translated into me being proficient on keyboards of any sort, but uh but it, again, it was, you know, my it was it was another thing uh, that was part of my fascination with music and uh, that, you know, led me to go on and be more serious about it. Right. Well, you know, it's like you need that chance to play. And an organ, did it have one of those like little uh, beat, uh, like some of the organs have the little like pro, um, like drum beats, like it'll have like a waltz and stuff. I did something. Yeah. Yeah. It did. It did yep. Okay. Well, then, you know, you can kind of like, it, it's kind of, that's kind of reminiscent like of, of the project, like, because it, it the um like uh, the new record has like a, a like not it's not all looped you know what I mean but there's cert- there's repetitive patterns in it and like I don't know you maybe messing around with that then kind of planted some of those seeds or something maybe so I mean you know flood twin uh there's actually no loops whatsoever on the album uh, which right. which might come as a surprise to you I don't know but but it does have a metronomic quality and that is a very uh very intentional thing and uh sterling you know was really keen on giving 
I mean, there's all, I think there's just tons of feel throughout the album because it was all live track. Uh, you know, everything's like live track first and second take uh, on the album. And um, but he, he very much wanted to give the album a certain uh, metronomic feel. Uh, and that seems to be appealing to there's some different uh you know uh, music publications uh, that have either reviewed the album or uh you know addressed it in some way that are uh industrial industrial dance music mm-hmm. uh electronic music which again to me is it's interesting because there's not any electronica whatsoever on the record wow i mean yeah. Sterling uses uses some samples for some shading, but but really just in the way of of um, uh, it's all real time. None of it's none of it's programmed. Uh, so there was actually only one song where we deliberately decided to um, tighten up the, uh, uh, the the rhythmic structure and give it a. A, a more mechanized feel that was it that's it like it, it definitely feels like it feels like it doesn't i think so the repetitiveness in a interesting like kind of turn of a, a like at least neurologically so our, when we're listening to music our our brains like to predict what happens next so that's like mm-hmm. when a progression ends like on a, a six chord or you know ends on a weird note or if something's in an odd time signature our brain's already doing double work, and for the like, a lot of people are like, "Yeah, I, I didn't like that song as much." You know, I don't know what it is. Like, if you're not really musically inclined, you just know you don't like it because it's a weird pattern, and it, all those patterns are kind of culturally like infused into your upbringing. But like, uh, when it's so- something on a loop like that, and I know it's not looped; it's you know, it's live performed. But when it's something that's predictable for the brain. Like it puts everything else on top and in the background and in the foreground, it like amplifies that in a way. Mm-hmm. So like that's what's beautiful about the record is like everything else kind of you get this groove and everything's in the pocket and it's like a James Brown song. Like you know what I mean? Like those those things are going and it's mostly the that bit for a bit. In, but you hear everything James is doing on top, and I think it's the same with the uh, the Flood Twin record. I know exactly what you're saying. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's interesting because neurologically that, that makes sense too. And it's, uh, that's fascinating that other people are pointing it out and trying to put it like a, put a, put that finger on it. Like in trance music and dance music's a lot like that. And I think that's a big appeal to, to that music. But, um, it, going into this project, was that kind of like, uh, like coming up with some of these tunes and like, was it more like, was it jamming together? Was it like you coming up with bass lines? Was it like, was that kind of like a thought process to begin with? Well, clearly I'm, I'm obsessed with repetition and, um, um, you know, anchoring to, you know, certain themes. Uh, and I, I like music that is, uh, circular. Um, I I had spent a number of years from from say the the time that Pleasure Club split up uh, up until 
several years ago, I had been doing a lot of stuff just in studio and I, I did some, I did release, you know, several records with some one-off projects that, that I'm very proud of, but, uh, um, I hadn't really dug into like one, uh, one project or hadn't had a band project. And so I had been, uh, putting together some of these ideas for a while and, and, but, but they didn't really begin to have a, real life until say i started working with with jay leslie hedberg uh our guitarist and um so yes while i may be the you know i i was the primary architect uh of these and and some of them were existing ideas um they they really took shape once once a band started coming together and uh, I mean, that's what I'm most excited about really is working with other people. I mean, with all the challenges that come along with that, that's what I thrive mostly on. And uh, so uh, Jay and I started working on on the material and developing it. And, and um, you know, and we had some had some new things come out of that. And then eventually Sterling uh, got involved in the band and, and he really you know, I've said this in a few different places, but he's he really set the whole thing on fire. Um, so that's that's kind of how it came about. That's it's, you know, playing with anyone else is like I feel like it, it just knowing someone else kind of cares about the project as much as you do kind of confirms it, and it's like the us against the world mentality in a mm-hmm. weird way, and, and that just makes that can uh, camaraderie. I can't talk today. Companionship. Ah, it just makes that companionship, and it, 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 I don't know, there's something to a group effort doing that, and just knowing you have this kind of artistic expression, and someone else, it's like, yeah, I can get behind that too, and kind of being in a, in a rhythm section, you know, you, you're doing front and rhythm, but like, uh, knowing that, it's like, that, your pocket's tight enough that someone else can get into it, and be like, yeah, there's plenty of lint in here, I dig this, you know what I mean, like, mm. yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, like that's awesome. Yeah. Um, but kind of leading up until that, so you're you're playing guitar, uh, you're learning or learning guitar. Now, did those lessons look different? They had to like with the cello, but structurally, was it more freeform? Was it hey, what do you want to learn? Uh, I remember it being a bit of hey, what do you want to learn, and uh, along with some you know some basic understanding of the music. I mean, I remember. Um, I remember working from a book of some sort and learning the notes on the fretboard and and you know learning you know relationships of notes and learning chords and uh, but there was a lot of like hey do you, what do you, you know what, what do you want to learn today and so I'd maybe have a song and then the you know the teacher would would try and incorporate that teaching me that song into some of the the more structured elements and and I did that I did that for a while I think uh I think probably I guess I was probably around 12 when I started that maybe 11 and ultimately I kept going with the lessons until uh, until my drug use probably got in the way and and I was getting in too much trouble and my parents didn't want to pay for lessons anymore as long as I was fucking up right you know yeah because well so at that before that were you working playing with other people or was this just a thing you were doing on your own nah just on my own okay on my own I was just in my 
in my bedroom. And eventually I got an electric guitar and, you know, that was just such an amazing thing. And like the noise that I could make from it. And, and when I was pissed off, you know, just to turn the amplifier up so loud and open up my bedroom window and irritate the neighbors and, (laughs) and irritate my parents, you know, it was just the greatest thing. (laughs) You taught me this. (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah. And I, you know, ultimately though, that guitar, never it just never really opened up for me i mean i I loved it and it was a great way to express and i I, but i I just i just never really connected with it and in in a in a really personal way the way one hopes to with an instrument and it was eventually in my teens at some point i was hanging out with these guys that that I knew uh, actually from my drug recovery circles, um, some guys who had a, a band and they would rehearse in this dude's trailer home in, in Slidell, Louisiana. And, and uh, they needed a bass player to sit in one day because their, their dude wasn't around. And they called me up and I came over and, they loaned me a bass and I got to practice with them. And it was amazing. And, and that's when I, you know, really connected with an instrument and felt like, Oh, I like this. Mm. That I can, I can really express my voice with this. It's also interesting because it was, it's in the context of a group too. So that kind of goes back to the, the, the wanting to do it with other people. And maybe that's yeah. something where bass kind of, I think, is like the the peanut butter for the the two pieces of bread, you know what I mean? Like it brings everything together in mm-hmm. a way that yeah. makes the sandwich, or in this case, the song. And yeah. um, uh, so like, was it through? So like through like, with uh, I mean with like was it AA like going through AA groups like kind of meeting these cats? Um. Yeah, I met you know I met people in AA and okay, and uh, Narcotics Anonymous as well and. Okay. And uh, these, you know, these, these particular guys were they were several years older than me, but uh, but they were cool, and I liked hanging with them, and and they let me, you know, they let me let me play music with them. And I think that's that's super important because, like, I personally haven't used AA, but like I've been in AA meetings and like a part of that kind of culture. Like, yeah. uh, I've always been a sober guy. Um, I don't know why I don't got any good really answer for it. I just never had like inclinations to do it so i really can't relate into the the aspect of someone who needed to do it and like you know what i mean like there's a difference there's a difference from a guy who just doesn't do it to someone who doesn't do it because they can't do it or shouldn't do it mm-hmm. um and fill in the blank for whatever it is um but i would host this open mic night at this bar called not a bar which was a sober bar and like they would host meetings in the basement in the forum and like so it was a very interesting but supportive culture and i find that like that program itself is it's so amazing like for something that's free you know what i mean and like yeah. but it's really one of those things that like i feel people got to got to be ready for it um but the the hear that you met people through that that kind of like showed you like this way to express yourself and welcomed you to a group like that and like were able to make music and do something fun you know what i mean like I, was that like a i don't know what was that a good point in the recovery for you? It was like that high point where it really took off. And like, um, I don't know if that's too deep of a question or personal of a question. Well, 
I I wouldn't say it was like a high point or anything. It, it just, I mean, because, well, like, truth be told, life sucked then. Life was fucking hard, man. Uh, being a teenager, you know, trying yeah. to stay clean, right? You know, is is fucked. And um, who else is doing that? You know, and uh, you know. So I mean, look, I was I was in. I ended up in a in a in a hospital when I was fourteen, right? Mm-hmm. Into a detox unit, and then subsequently into a rehabilitation program. And then I, you know, I spent a couple months there, and then I spent months and months and months the remainder of that year in a halfway house, and um, uh, and then eventually went home and back into high school and. And it was, those were just tough years. Uh, so I, I don't remember really having uh, terribly, you know, peaceful or terribly fun life at that time. I remember just, it was struggle, you know, it was yeah. just trying to get by. And I was, and I was very much trying to stay clean and I did everything I had to do to, to try and maintain that. And uh, that's all great. And, and, and it led me to, you know, wonderful and marvelous things and, and great relationships and, you know, the, the relationships that I made in, in recovery, uh, were some of those were really meaningful. I mean, it was, you know, some very beautiful things happened for sure. Uh, but, um, it was just hard. And I think, you know, from getting to kind of tie it in with with music, uh, you know, those weekends hanging out with guys, you know, that were also clean or sober, you know, making noise, they were important and they were great. And I think they were a, a good a good outlet and um you know, I guess maybe I was having a little bit of fun on the weekends, you know, <laughs> doing that, you know? Yeah. And yeah. that was cool. Well, that, that was way cool. Yeah. Because, like, it, it seemed like a, I don't know, it seems like you, th- th- for anyone, like, just going through that bit in life, aside from, like, uh, the problems at home or whatever, just, or even, like, after the high school bit when you're trying to find yourself, you know, and you're trying to find something you enjoy doing. It's, in, it's I find it interesting. I, I talk with a lot of people in my life that want to find what they enjoy doing. And I, I kind of lucked out that, like, like in the same age range, it sounds like, I enjoyed going into the garage and making making sounds with the friends and being like, that's fun. How can I do that in a more proficient way? And, like, yeah. Um, but it, it, not even thinking about how could I. Just like, oh, I'm going to do that. And it, it's such a non, like, oh, yeah, you just do the thing. But having that thing is so important. And, like going through that like at an early age like i kind of lucked out for some reason and just never really uh, was appealed to any like uh, substances or like but it also put me in a weird spot where no i don't want to i don't want to hang out with this guy he's he's weird he doesn't you know what i mean so i I get that that too where you're like that young and when you're sober like people are kind of weirded out by it like at least your peer group so you have to find that kind of older group and um to find one that's doing this fun like this thing you can get into is really really profound 
Yeah. And like just to have that outlet too is so it's such a blessing. Like, because I know I still know friends that are still that's still looking for it, and like. I don't know. You know what I mean? It's it's so cool thinking now. I'm like, well, I'm glad I I'm glad I organized these sounds and like showed it to people. And people are like, yeah, that's all right. Do it again. <laughs> like, here's a dollar. <laughs> well, you know, I I didn't. So when I was in my halfway house, uh, I wasn't allowed to have an instrument there. So hmm. you know, my my electric guitar was was you know this is in Baton Rouge, okay, and and my electric guitar and amp were at home in Slidell, and. Yeah, you know, it was just considered to be too much of a distraction, right? right. And uh, there was all this this intensity about like not having too much focus on like rock culture, you know, right. or music okay. culture, you know, yeah. and 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 that leading to you know focus on drug culture, and uh, you know, and I I mean I I get it. I mean back then things in the world of of drug treatment were very different than they are now and very, very rigid. Okay. And, uh, the, the science of, uh, recovery from drug addiction, alcoholism was, was still somewhat new. And so anyways, we, we, you know, we were also limited to certain times of the day we could listen to music and there was this community room, um, where there was a TV and there was also a stereo and we weren't allowed to turn that stuff on until after I think four in the afternoon or maybe four fifteen. And so everybody would queue up, you know, starting around three thirty and there was a sign up sheet. Everybody would get two songs hmm. at a time. And you can sign up for your two songs, get yourself on the list, and then, you know, you had to wait until the list came back around before you could get back on again. And, and so you get two songs and then somebody else gets their turn. And so I had a small handful of albums with me at the time. And uh, one of them was Bob Marley Exodus. Mm. Uh, I had Talking Heads 77, the, the first uh, Talking Heads record. Um, I believe I had Lou Reed Live, Rock and Roll Animal. Um, and you know, I probably had a couple of my like I was into prog rock when I was a kid too, so I probably had a couple of yes albums or something like that. But the ones that I really, really listened to and and, and would always almost always use during my turn were Talking Heads, Bob Marley, Lou Reed, and those were great moments in the afternoon, you know, right? Getting to listen to your songs, yeah. And almost just having a spot for it, you know what I mean? Like it really put it in limit. You know, you can only take so much of it in, and like mm-hmm. it almost seems like it'd be more. Well, it had to be more precious because there was a limited amount of it. Very much so. And like, yeah, you take the yes song. Everyone's like, ah, ten minutes. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, still good records. And like, uh, it's interesting. I was talking with a uh, and Bob like. It, 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 like the, it kinda, all those influencers are kind of in this uh, in the Twin Flood records. Like there's some kind of dub element to it. Like there's there's some uh, yeah, you absolutely. know electronic bit. There's some talking headisms and some Lou Reedisms. So that that's a it's interesting. It's really cool. Um, so like kind of going through this, did you like like a because you you worked as a counselor for a bit, right? Yeah, I did. Uh, starting in my late teens. 
as a probably teenager? The, yeah, wow. probably, probably from the time I was uh, 19 until I was 24, I, I, I worked for a couple different uh, chemical dependency treatment centers and right. had started a career in, in chemical dependency counseling. And uh, I thought that that's what I was going to do. You know, I mean, I, I, I didn't, you know, I, I just that was all I knew. And it seemed to make sense. Uh, and I had started on the path of, of uh, pursuing, uh, you know, getting my state and national board certification. I wasn't too far off from that. Um, and I had, you know, I had a caseload, at the, you know, my own at the point when I just realized I'm not happy doing this. And I don't want to, you know, while, while recovery is, is really important to me, uh, you know, on a personal level. And, and I, I didn't, I just didn't, I didn't, I didn't want my entire life, my whole existence to be about that, you know? Right. And so I had this opportunity at one point, the, the hospital that I worked for was, uh, was going through some, some financial difficulty and, uh, they were they were paring down and doing some layoffs, and uh, the the unit that I worked on was scaling down, and so I had an opportunity to either move to night shifts, which would have been a total drag. I had done a lot of that when I first started out in that, you know, doing the eleven to seven shift, you know, yeah. um, to, and you know, and then like the 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 three to eleven. But um, I, uh, I I could do that and take a cut pay or else I could get, I could take a voluntary layoff and I could get three months of severance. And that afforded me the opportunity to get on some unemployment for a little while. And I left, uh, left the job, left my apartment in Slidell, moved into New Orleans proper. And that's when I decided to, that, that it was now or never. And, and the only thing that really gave me deep satisfaction was was being involved in the arts, you know, and and so that was my chance to pursue music. And I went on a, I guess, a bit of a vision quest. And for the next few months while I was on unemployment, I spent all my free time in the evenings going out to clubs and uh, looking for uh, looking for musicians. And Go ahead. I'm oh, sorry. Was it like a so like open mic nights? Or are you just seeking like? Nah, just... nah, nah. It was it was it was more going to just going to see bands. All right. Gotcha. So okay. I I was in a band at the time, and we were playing original music. It was just a uh, you know it was a it was a really average kind of pop rock band. Uh, didn't uh, you know I didn't have much commitment to it, but it was something to do. Okay, mm -hmm. and. I had been in a couple bands and I'd been, you know, I'd been in a cover band prior to that and, you know, just shitty bands. Right. But, but playing in a band, excuse me, is, is a great thing. Right. So, uh, uh, when you're, and when you're starting out, you know, like just, just to be playing with other people is fantastic. So, uh, anyways, I, I was just going out to going out to the, you know, the clubs in New Orleans and, and, and seeing, uh, you know, just seeing music, I was seeing touring bands and, 
you know, like Mondays and Tuesday nights were big for me because that's when like the weirdo bands would come through town. The bands that were just trying to get a gig anywhere they could, you know? And so those are the nights when I was seeing like the anti scene or the leaving trains uh, that were coming through, you know, from LA or, or, um, you know, uh, uh, seeing, um, oh man, uh, what's the band from Ohio there? Uh, God in Texas. Do you know them? God in Texas. I, you know, I, I do, but I don't know that, like, I've read the they name were, before. They, okay. they were great, great band, you know, back in the nineties and, uh, heavy, really edgy. Um, seeing them, seeing Run Westy Run from Minneapolis, uh and then you know bands that had you know more of a more of a thing like you know fire hose you know right. uh i unfortunately missed the Minutemen, but um so anyways uh i was just going out all the time to see music and 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 just be inspired and and get excited about about playing and to also start looking for ideally who might be some like-minded people to work with and uh eventually one night I won some tickets from W2L, the, the Tulane radio station that, you know, they were like the weirdo station in town and they played some great stuff at the time. And I won some tickets to go see a, you know, James Hall at the RC Bridge Lounge. And I didn't know who James Hall was, but it sounded like it'd be a cool thing. And so I went. And so James had been a member of Mary My Hope in Atlanta. Uh, and then when Mary My Hope, split up after uh, um, um, a creatively successful um, album and a half, album and an EP. Uh, and, you know, we're signed with RCA Silvertone. Um, uh, when they split up, uh, he left Atlanta and came to New Orleans and uh, uh, was was doing some busking and down the corridor and then also doing some kind of semi-solo stuff. And he brought a musician from Atlanta with him and uh, Lynn Wright, guitarist. And so I saw these guys playing uh, this particular night and both of them had Ampeg half stacks, old Ampeg V4 half stacks. Yeah. And they had a drummer, but that drummer was doing nothing more than keeping time. And they, the music they were playing was so intense and so intriguing. Uh, and it had a lot of repetition uh, in it and a very velvet underground kind of feel to it at the time. Anyways, I just flipped out and I knew I have to be involved with these guys. It doesn't matter what, whether they just come out and play once every six months, I, I have to be involved with them. And so I ended up, um, they had a rehearsal space a couple doors down from where the band I was with at the time rehearsed. And so I ended up knocking on their door one night and talking with James and asking like, Hey, are you looking for a bass player? You know, to which he said, yeah, that would be the next logical step. I'm like, all right, well, you know, I wasn't making any assumptions, you know? Uh, So anyways, I started playing with them and that was really the beginning. That was the beginning of, of my, uh, I would say, my musical life that was richest and 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 really um artistically fulfilling you know and so i worked with 
with them for a few years and we made several records um, and I did big record deals and, and did, you know, toured the world and uh, toured nonstop, had some great years. And then ultimately in, you know, I don't know, after probably close to 10 years that split up and, and um, then I would eventually move on and James and I would form Pleasure Club together. Okay. That's, I mean, that's uh, straight from A and B right quick. You know what I mean? Like the, the hop, cause you guys had some strange tours too. Didn't they have you with rage against the machine? Like... Yeah. Yeah, man. We, we, I, I mean, I, I think that ultimately the big record deals and then having the big booking agencies, you know, that kind of thing you don't necessarily get the kind of attention you, you really need as a, as a kind of edgy, uh, you know, outside artist. Right. And um, what we were doing just wasn't really mainstream. And, and um, so I don't know, we got, yeah, we got, we got paired up on some tours that just didn't work terribly well. I mean, look, it was cool going out and doing we did close to a month with Rage Against the Machine over in Europe, and those shows went great for us. Yeah. Um, we made some fans. Yeah, uh, we we didn't have near the, the kind of heavy uh, heaviness of, of them, but um, we were weird, you know. So at least the audience could gravitate towards that. Uh, and um, you know, I mean, we enjoyed that. It was good. It was good. We enjoyed being out there with those guys. And, uh, but then, you know, we ended up on a tour with Marie McKee, who's also a, a, a brilliant and very gifted artist. Uh, and we appreciated uh, that she wanted us out with her, but we just didn't fit. We didn't belong there. And uh, so many other tours that we just didn't fit on. Uh, and our, our agency was never able to really pair us with, with anybody uh you know, that made a lot of sense with the exception of we did about a month with Love and Rockets at one point. And that made a lot of sense. It worked very well. Yeah, um, you know, good it, tour. It interest, it's interesting because, like, you know, you, you think of like the, the Clash bringing up like Suicide and, and um, you know, bands like that bringing this to their audience and sh mm -hmm. like, wanting to share it with them. And like, mm -hmm. I know there's so many factors behind the scene, like agencies and and you know managers approving who's sure. doing what and like um but if you guys what would it what it would have been like what aside from that one tour what would have been like a prime act to be with have you ever thought of that i don't know i mean yeah. like okay. really loving loving rockets was good that was yeah. good um uh but you know probably probably something like a Jane's addiction or something like that, even though I guess at that point they were, they were split up. I mean, we did, I remember we played a couple of games with porno for pyros and that worked. Um, uh, I don't know. I, I don't, yeah. That's I don't know who, it's but interesting. I mean, it's, you know, your, your point about, you know, the clash, you know, uh, like bringing, you know, bringing a band like suicide out with them. People didn't know what the hell to do with suicide. Right. People hated them. You know, I mean, I suicide is actually one of my favorite bands of all time, but, um, and, and the clash as well, but, uh, that didn't go well for suicide. I mean, I would have been a seeming, 
only uh, great opportunity for them at the time. Oh, the Clash wants to, you know, have a support them on some dates. Hell yeah, let's do it. But that uh, nah, was tough for us touring. We, we just could never find find real good partners. I got to say, um, if I can fast forward to the present time, um, Flood Twin, uh, you know, I, I, I mean, look, I, I think we have a uniqueness about us and all that, but I, I don't necessarily really give a shit like whether do we do we sound like anybody else or not i don't care um i think we sound we have a, a sound that's 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 unique and and very personal to to who we are um but you can name all kinds of different influences and they're all there uh i think we probably paired better uh with a, a number of bands and recently we did a couple shows uh, and this this one band in particular that we played with in Atlanta that supported us, uh, Coma Therapy out of Athens, they were a great pairing mm. with us. And uh, we actually had a um, a solo uh, uh, kind of a songstress, uh, chanteuse of sorts, Liv Mueller opened the show, and that was great. And it was it was very different than us, but still it worked beautifully it was it was just dark and 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 dark and minimal and, and gorgeous and then coma therapy were heavier and and more kind of shoegaze a little bit of my bloody valentine and and then us and and it was it was really good that it's beautiful it's beautiful what works and it's always interesting what what you don't think will but does and like uh and you know, I it's it, being suicide like being suicide is one of your favorite bands. That makes a lot of a lot of sense, kind of tonality wise with this project. Um, but yeah, that's yeah. Like I don't know. Like I, I can't imagine. Like a lot of bands, when you open, even for anyone who's like a bigger actor, you, you get opening band syndrome. You know what I mean? Like, and I can't imagine living in that realm would be healthy for anyone's uh, um, self confidence for too long. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And like uh, so, like the the legend of the Clash bringing suicide on tour is very cool. The reality for suicide was very probably stressful. Um, yes, <laughs> and for the Clash, <laughs> like I imagine, I imagine so. Um, a couple more questions on the on this new record. Um, now water seems to kind of follow you around, and I've heard you talk about it in other interviews. It's in the name. Um, are you? What do you think that is? I think, um, well, for starters, I, you know, I, I was just very impacted by uh, the waters that overcame the uh, city of New Orleans uh, following Hurricane Katrina. Right. And, you know, although I had evacuated, I wasn't in the city when it happened. Still, you know, my, my life was very much impacted by it. And uh i don't know so there's there's that um water changed my life um you know i i eventually needed to move inland because of uh my not being able to live day to day you know looking over my shoulder and wondering when's the next storm coming um had a big psychological impact on me so um i moved to georgia um i water has featured really prominently in uh my dream state uh and 
don't know. I just, I also just seem to have some kind of fascination with it that I can't altogether put my finger on. It's, it's interesting because, like, it, with just your kind of musical career, um, it's kind of like a the Bruce Lee bit with being like water, just kind of fitting every situation you're in. And, like, to be able to jump into, like, being moved by something, following, like, the stream of your, like, of your passion to some degree to find, like, James Hall and, like, being able to fit right in, like, with the guys that gave you the bass to play and, like... It's it you know it, it's there's so much fluidity in like being a musician and like trying to find what works, you know I I always found the water related in that sense and when I read your bit about that I was like oh that's interesting I kind of want to pick your brain about it. So it's the quest for the flow, the ultimate flow state, right? You know, to try and 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 put yourself in a scenario or in a a, a mindset, a state of being. Uh, that will allow you to flow in uh, the most artistic and, and freeing way. And, you know, I guess, you know, personally as well. So, I mean, I, I, I think I'm always in search of or, or trying to, you know, be in that flow state. It's beautiful. And like, I th- that like, and wa- I don't know. Water just seems to, to fit that metaphor for that. And like, um, another thing I wanted to ask you about was like, uh, and this appealed to me on a couple levels. But like, uh, because like there's this like this tight pocket, these grooves, these like these rhythms on this record that almost sound looped and almost sound trancy. Um, there's like the like that background's kind of brought up and i think the background was paid a lot of attention to in these records so like the in the put it in like a painting form because i know you also do visual art and mm-hmm. like uh it's almost like bring it like highlighting the negative space um now artistically like we, i guess we didn't really even kind of touch upon when you got into the art and in the other mediums but like um has there always been like a have you always thought of the negative space as a highlighted area or like for you has it always brought out the main picture it's mm, a good question um and i and i love talking about negative space so uh i okay so i i think um my my interest in visual art goes way way back uh although i i you know to when i was very young although i didn't uh start really actively and regularly engaging in making visual art until uh, my probably late 20s um and i the 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 art um the painting that i've always been attracted to has always had a fair amount of negative space uh you know, um, I'm reading a book right now about, uh, so it's a biography of Cy Twombly hmm. um, by Joshua Rifkin. And I don't know if you're familiar with Cy Twombly. Cy Twombly was an American artist, um, uh, you know, considered to be, you know, one of the abstract expressionists. Um, um, 
came to prominence in, in New York in the mid to late 50s. Uh, and ultimately was just such an outsider and he ended up really having a career over in Italy more than and Europe more than he did here. But um, there's uh, he's he's certainly one of if not my favorite artist, uh, uh, one of my favorites and lots of negative space in his work. Um, and I'm, I'm attracted to to uh, say Robert Motherwell, Mark Rothko. Um, Franz Klein, um, and I, I don't know what it is about the negative space, the relief of negative space, uh, that, that I find so, uh, appealing or fascinating or, or, or gravitating, uh, or, or so full of gravity, uh, but I do, and, and I, in my in all of my uh, artistic creations, whether it's visual or or musical, there's there's just always negative space, and I think in music there's there's so there can be so much drama in created negative space because, like, say you've got a passage where there is so much uh, emptiness, and then and then in the next passage where things will fill in. Um, you can create a lot of drama. Um, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm not, I can't, I won't say that I'm like consciously trying to create drama. I just, I just write the way I write. And, uh, you know, I'll say, for example, like the song down in the water, uh, on the flood twin album. Um, there's just not a whole lot happening. And, um, but when things do happen, it gets you know the, the, the things get exciting. Um, right. You know the 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 um, the baseline, um, you know, in, in the verses, uh, it's, it's just it's 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 one note repeated three times, and then um, you don't get but two other notes from the bass throughout the whole song. But it seems like it's such a big shift, you know, going from. Uh, the verse to, you know, I guess you can call it a chorus, but in uh, um, the song People, uh, there's three different notes in the verse, and there's a lot of space in between, although there's a, there's a, there's a delay on the bass. Uh, and then there's two notes in the chorus, and that's it for the whole song. And there's nothing but guitar feedback in the verse, and then when the when the chorus kicks in, uh, there's some really beautiful uh, and sharp chords that Jay is is making uh, that 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 make that moment so exciting. Uh, I don't know. I just I love negative yeah. space. Yeah. No. It's um, one of the reasons I it, it stuck out to me when I read it. It was um, I work at an art gallery called Negative Space. Um, it's a nonprofit art gallery, and the whole like uh, um, mentality of the of the gallery is like the gallery is the negative space. You know, mm -hmm. it's empty. We and we that we bring in a lot of people for their first showings, and we have sh concerts there, and it's a lot. Of, you know, so it's like it's a lot of people's first exposure to expressing themselves, and that's that's the the foreground. Everything the gallery and everything about the place itself is 
is that negative space. It's allowing for the other thing to happen. And then, mm-hmm. and like, there's some, to have that space, right? Just even think of it as a physical space is so beautiful because there's this opportunity for all these other things to be seen for the beauty they are or the beauty yeah. they have. And like, to do that on a sonic level is, you know, it gets to be, it involves a lot of that minimalism. And I, don't, I wouldn't say it's drama that you bring, but it's tension. And that's kind of like, that's the resolve of music. We got to make something tense up so we go, one, four, you know what I mean? Like, or, yeah, 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 yeah. And like, that our brain wants that too. So, like, I wouldn't say you're bringing drama at all, but you're doing it right. And like, that's part of what made the this record so appealing for me. And like, reading about it afterwards, I'm like, I get it now. And like, I don't, so that's beautiful. It's beautiful. And I think, uh, you know, there's some artists that really kind of draw into that. Like, um, I always like, or even, uh, here's another, like another way to think of, I, I, at least I think of it is like, like with writing, like, um, sometimes a, a quote is going to go way further than the whole text, you know, in some cases that can be bad, but like, mm-hmm. um, as far as impact, like, I don't know if people are going to read all of Nietzsche, but, um, they might take a quote from him and live by that. And like, yeah, which, mm-hmm. personally, I would rather, you know, get the whole context of the thing, but I think that just kind of brings back that minimal impact or minimum amount of a uh, word for maximum amount of impact, or even like the idea of like a um, taking it in a martial arts sense, you want minimum amount of movement for maximum amount of impact. Like, um, but at, so there, there's, there's an art into that. And I think your record is like prime example of it. Um, I, I thank you, Dave. I, 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 uh, I, I'm, I'm really appreciating speaking with you about this and, and I really appreciate your thoughts on it. And, uh, um, very clearly you've, you know, you've, you've, you've really paid attention to the record and, and you're, uh, you're getting a lot of the things that I don't even consciously, you know, try and do, you know, but, but, but are things that, that, that are, you know, coming across from the record. And, um, you know, it's funny, you know, like with writing, um, I picked out a, um, a quote as I was reading this Twombly biography this morning, there was this quote, uh, that involved eloquent, deliberate silence. Mm. And it just hit me in such a powerful way. And and I just love that concept of eloquent, deliberate silence. Uh, and I had to I had to write it down and put it in my you know my word phrase file you know on my phone um, because it'll probably lead me to something you know. Yeah. Uh, I'm always I'm always you know I'm always keeping notes or you know ideas that kind of thing. Um, I just thought it was beautiful. I, 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 that, that's, you know, that's why I, I love doing what I'm doing right now, talking with you, trying to find insight and like that the hunt for it is a beautiful, endless, uh, endless passion. And, um, uh, that's a good one. That's a good one. Um, well, Grant, I really appreciate your time and especially on, on a holiday, <laughs> taking time oh, to talk yeah. with me and, um, <laughs> with all the flexibility. So thank you very much. Um, 
No, I, I think I, I think you've given me a, a fine opportunity to plug the record, and um, and and I again I, I really appreciate speaking with you, and and the, you know you take the time to to do this, and you talk with some really interesting artists and um, artists that are are unknown but worthy of of discovery, and so thank you very much. Yeah, thank you, thank you. I like it. All right, Grant. All right, thank Dave. You very much. Take care. <laughs>